Dr. Blake Kent with us, who's a professor of sociology at Westmont College, and he's sharing some of his latest research with us on Christian nationalism and the kingdom of God. So I'm going to open us in prayer. Um, and as we know, this is a topic for, for everyone that might land differently. And so, of course, we'll just be respectful of one another, listen to one another. But ultimately, we're listening to Dr. Kent today. <laughs> so we appreciate you taking the time to be here and share your research with us. Um, so let's pray. God, thank you so much that you speak to us in so many ways, and there are so many diverse forms of knowledge and exploration. And I thank you for Dr. Kent and for his research and for his thoughtfulness, and I pray that we would glean wisdom, that you would teach us, God, that we would be able to seek your kingdom first. That is why we are here, because we want to seek your righteousness and your kingdom first, above anything else. Um, so be present with us today. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good, morning. Good to be with you. I, uh, I've been around for a little while, four years or so, but I also have a four-year-old and a five-year-old, which means that unless I'm uh, down there trying to wrangle them or <laughs> up in the balcony... <laughs> for the last 10 minutes of the service when we finally get here. You probably won't have seen me. Um, but my wife Rachel and I have been here since we moved to Santa Barbara to start at Westmont. And then our sons are Rillian and Caspian. Um, if those names ring a bell to you, they're both Narnian names. So when we went to Elmo's big Narnia event in Montecito, I don't know if you know, they do a big Narnia event every year as a kind of a community outreach. So they get a special welcome when we show up and we, we tell them that they're really in casting. They're like, oh, like, you know, my lord. <laughs> Good to see you. So um, Nikki alluded to me presenting some of my own recent research on this. I'm actually not going to do that um, because I didn't do the research yet. <laughs> um, I had a pretty significant medical event in August that really put me in a hole in a lot of things. And so I'm going to be approaching this, I think, from a, a broader uh, question of kind of just trying to get a handle on kind of what is Christian nationalism, how people have defined it, how it's been talked about, how it's been thrown about in the media. Um, it's, it's under contestation, and I think it's good to just consider what, what is our perception of what we think this, this concept means, what do other people think it means. And you've been, presumably, if you're a regular attender, presumably you've been talking about the kingdom of God all semester long. And so you should have a pretty, I mean, solid answer on what is the kingdom of God right now. And so I, I think I really want to ask the two questions. What is Christian nationalism? What is the kingdom of God? And then consider in what ways may they um, be consonant with one another and in what ways might they be in conflict with one another? And I'm not going to be presenting uh, answers to you on those things, but I may, I may suggest some ways that I see it, but I'll also just be suggesting and trying to provide space and opportunity to reflect on that question as well. Now, if you had a chance to kind of catch what was going on with this video, um, maybe I'll just play just a, a, a quick second of it and you can get a taste. Let's turn the volume up.
doesn't score a lot of points for lyrical ingenuity. Um, anyone have an idea of uh, what kind of event this might be or where it might be taking place? I'm going to have a little bit of interaction, so throw stuff out. What was your? A political campaign? I heard church service. Okay. Uh, the, whenever I, I, I show this to students, and in a class of 30, 29 of them will say it's at a political event, some kind of rally. Uh, but it is at a church service. Uh, it's at First Baptist Dallas, where Pastor Robert Jeffress is the pastor. And if you don't know Robert Jeffress, he's been one of the sort of leading um, sort of pastoral supporters of Trump and Trump's administration. So President Trump speaks there somewhat regularly. Uh, Vice President Pence was there a number of times. So that's their church. They have a very strong link between uh, sort of conservative politics and their faith identity. They see those as quite inseparable. Uh, not every church in the country does stuff like that, but most churches in the U.S. have some kind of way of uh, acknowledging their political values through the church services, whether it's uh, you know, a, a Veterans Day um, memorial or a prayer. Um, but we might not all go to that extreme, but it certainly is present in a lot of uh, churches. So just to get sort of a ground uh, sense of understanding of where you are and how much you've been thinking about this, maybe this is the first time you've heard this term, maybe you've thought about it a lot. So you can come up with whatever you've got, but I just want you to take, say, two minutes to write your own definition of what you think this term represents. And then we'll... Okay, these I'm sure will percolate in the back of your mind as we proceed, but in the interest of time, we will move forward. Um, before, we're going to look at a couple of uh, video examples of what I consider Christian nationalism action. Uh, but before we do that, I do want to hear from you. How do you perceive a Christian nationalism? What do you think that it is? I would define it as a contemporary political trend of... It's not necessarily secular. It claims to be faith-based right. that focuses on uh, America at first. Okay. And all of the tenets of what, what the United States, what they claim to be based on. But first and foremost, it's contemporary, it's a trend, and it's political. Okay, great. Can I hear three or four others? Um, I, I really don't know. Okay, <laughs> great. It's good out there. It to be, yeah. to me, it appears to be a right-wing political movement that tries to bring in Christianity for support. Okay, right-wing political movement that's bringing in Christianity as a way to frame it or support it. Okay, interesting. I saw your hand here. Yeah. And then we'll I feel it's the linking of Christian faith to a political affiliation rather than linking it to Jesus and linking it to Okay, essentially a politicized version of Christian faith. Okay? It's an reshaping Christianity for partisan politics. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, joining of a religious faith and nationalistic political fervor that God calls upon people to raise up a Christian nation to fight for all that's right and good. Okay, for all that's right and good by their perception of the tenets of the Christian faith. Yes. Right. Okay, here and then over to the I would just add to that that it's a tenet in which every, they think God agrees with them in everything. The right and good. Very much, very much. Okay, yes, like, yes. 
Yeah, we are living out God's call for us in this space and time by embracing this particular form of action. The sacred symbols of a nation are combined or mixed with Christian symbols of, yeah, so like what is sacred in a nation becomes what is sacred in Christianity and what is sacred in Christianity becomes like what is sacred in a nation. Okay, so, very symbolic. so fundamentally like <laughs> political syncretism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what was the syncretism, the, okay. the blending of like two ideas yes. of worldviews of faith in the yes. land, yeah. On top of what's already been said, I also feel it is the belief that, that America is God's chosen people. Yeah. 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 A special special place yeah. for America and God's sort of uh, ordained plan for world history, essentially. Yeah. It's superseding biblical Christianity with the patriotism of political conservative opinions. Okay. Yeah. So somehow to to not to be a Christian and to not fall in line or support the values or goals of Christian nationalism is to somehow be a, an inferior Christian. So you, you sort of lost your or not at all. Or not at all. Yeah, depending on who you're talking to. I'm a, I, I spend much more time on Twitter than is good for my mental health, and um, the not at all comes out quite a lot. <laughs> okay, that's great. Um, I want to share a couple uh, things. One, I'm going to show you a short clip from Stephen Wolf who is the writer of the book, The Case for Christian Nationalism. And he's going to tell you what Christian nationalism is and its goals in his own words. I want to let him represent himself. Uh, and I want you to listen really closely to what he's saying and try to draw out potential political and social implications of what he's saying. Okay? So that's the instructions I can give you. It's about three minutes or so. The term Christian nationalism has been thrown around a lot lately. Most of the time as a way to dismiss or mock anyone who wants to engage in politics as a Christian. But those of us who look to the broad Christian tradition should seize the term for ourselves. We are indeed Christian nationalists. The nation is not a mere collection of people, but a people united around a set of shared loves. Some of these loves are universal in all nations, such as the love of family and home. Other loves are more particular in each nation, such as shared culture, language, and national struggles and achievements. Together, these loves form a nation's way of life, generating a love for the place in which you and your ancestors conducted. See if we can correct the weird video. In that way of life. Johann Herbert once said that everyone loves his country, his manners, his language, his wife, his children, not because they are the best in the world, but because they are absolutely his own, and he loves himself and his own labors in him. Now, when we hear the term nationalism, many of us think of fascism or militarism. And there's a history of that in the world for sure. But it's better to think of the issue of nationalism as referring to the nation acting as a people for their national good. A Christian nation is a nation that is self-consciously Christian, and on that account seeks the nation's complete good, earthly and heavenly goods, for themselves and for their posterity. Now the two ways that a people order themselves is through civil law and social customs. Civil laws, when just, are ordinances of God binding our conscience. Why? Because just laws are rooted in God's moral law. God's law is tailored for our good and happiness. Our highest happiness is found in eternal life. And so civil law ought to order us to the things of eternal life, word and sacrament. Civil law cannot compel belief in the gospel, nor the one worships God in heart, but it can create the best outward conditions for one to conduct undisturbed and focused worship of God. 
Thus, in addition to ensuring justice in our civil relations, civil authority can regulate the Sabbath day, for example, to remove those daily cares and concerns that distract us from Sunday worship. Though often defined by its abuse, cultural Christianity is vital to Christian nationalism. While civil law is an explicit ordering of society, cultural Christianity operates implicitly by establishing in us a positive prejudicial regard for the gospel. It cannot bring us to faith, but it makes the truths of the faith plausible to us. Cultural Christianity also contributes to a more orderly, high-trust society, since everyone has a mutual expectation of Christian conduct. Thus, we have an explicit order of civil law and an implicit ordering by social custom. Together, these compose the sort of thing Christian nationalism is, what I call a totality of national action. This is a fancy way of saying that all things that a Christian nation would expect of us, both in law and custom, and no matter how mundane, are for the good of the whole. I'm Stephen Wolf. For more on Christian nationalism, check out my book, The Case for Christian Nationalism. Okay, sorry about the video jumping there. But, was, excuse me, um, yeah. Dave, but when was that book published? This book was published last year, um, or early 2023. Yeah, it's about a year old. Okay. Yeah. So, first of all, just what did you hear? Like, what is he saying Christian nationalism is about? Yeah, civil civil law yeah. needs to be based on the Ten Commandments. Uh, yeah, values of the Christian faith as defined by those that are promoting Christian nationalism. So, what kinds of implications does that have for the rest of society? We've been talking about ultimately for the good of for the good of the entire country. Right. So, from a from a um, sort of a, a standpoint that's trying to be sympathetic to his goals, or the goals of Christian nationalism, it would say there are other um, religious systems, there's other worldviews that ultimately do not promote human flourishing as effectively as the Christian worldview or the Christian religion. So therefore, it's appropriate to use the state to promote the values of the Christian faith, because even if people kind of resist it or don't like that it'll it's actually for their own good right i think that's what they would say he talked about the loves and he talked about, he did mention justice mm -hmm. and that just grates on me when i look at christian nationalism and all the, the unloving terrible divisions that they're making and in hate against people that don't agree with them mm -hmm. so. okay so you're seeing it as quite oppositional. Rather than, rather than a, we're bringing everyone along towards human flourishing, you're seeing them create divisions and separation. I, I liked more than I thought I would. I, I appreciated that, um, I mean, whether or not he believes this, he kept repeating, like, laws themselves don't compel people. Like, a culture itself doesn't transform people. So... I agree with that. That, like, I mean, he's advocating for laws. He's advocating, advocating for laws. No, yeah, and he's yeah. advocating for culture. Yeah. But, like, if at the heart, if he actually believes in his heart that, like, it's the Holy Spirit, that that's what changes people, like, mm -hmm. I can get behind that. Okay. Yeah. I, too, like Nikki, was surprised that I could hear what he was saying and think, well, this sounds like it makes sense and is good because he speaks 
happens is different. But the ideal of human flourishing and a nation flourishing, all for everyone's good, not just for one or a select few good, is a, is a positive element. I just don't get how yeah. it's what well, Yeah. What, what exactly would you have to do to accomplish the things that he's saying? Like legally, structurally? It's really not a new concept. I mean, this has been happening throughout our world's history of, right. of using the crutch of our religion. And I don't see religion as a crutch, but and so it's probably a poor choice of words, but using our interpretation of our faith to exclude or include people and creating laws around those of our interpretations of our faith. So that's happened throughout history. I mean, Inquisition, I mean, we go in any number of ways. But but what's frightening is it's their interpretation that is to translate into their laws of what books we read, who we accept, who we don't accept. And that is not a new concept, but it is, a, it, and it's not new to the US either, but it is truly stronger now than probably most of our, our American history. Yeah, so there's a long tradition of what we would call American civil religion. That's kind of a generic, kind of Abrahamic faith tradition. We don't talk about Jesus in the state house, but we can talk about God. We can say, in God we trust. But, you know, as long as, as, long as like, people can kind of generally get behind that, uh, there's, there's a, a, a lot of work on American civil religion. Um, but this is a more pointed version of that, right? It's more explicitly Christian. Um, or at least a sp- specific expression of Christianity. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about Stephen Wolf Moore and the, and the book. Um, so he's going to be okay with blasphemy laws. He's going to be okay with prison time for people that don't follow Christian um, laws and rules and fines. He's going to be okay with religious tests for public office. Um, He's going to be really fine with excessive deportation. He's going to be fine with uh, prohibiting interracial marriage. Um, He's strongly associated with, and and, and a lot of these really strong proponents of a hard version of Christian nationalism are very much, um, this is our country for our people. For people that have our values and look like us. And historically, you have to go back and sort of ask, what historical contingencies allowed him to claim that, like, this is our country even in the first place, right? <laughs> like, what made it our country in the first place? Yeah. Uh, where does he stand on women's issues? Uh, he's going to be, he and many others like him are very much calling for a retraction of women's rights yeah. um, to the point of a, a, a retraction of women's rights to vote. Yeah, there's a very strong push that you know men need to reassert themselves as the fundamental sort of leader unit, mm-hmm. and that a wife that like votes the opposite way of her husband nullifies his vote and therefore nullifies sort of God's use of the man um, in order to promote civil good. Yeah, so there's there's a, it's a pretty um, it's a pretty dark road that you can take this down. Of course, this is his three minute blurb where he puts yeah. kind of a general spin on it, but if, if you listen to it, he's talking about um, creating pretty hard boundaries and forcing people into them and then punishing them if they don't fit into those boundaries. So you guys can come across that. Yeah. 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 Although I thought I heard early on to him talking about like what is good for myself and my family. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, he he and says and he says yes. A man too. loves his country and his wife and his kids and stuff because they are his own, right? And this country is our own, uh, and it's not those other people's. What, so, church, what church is he aligned with? Um, he is he is as far as I know part of the the Doug Wilson uh, Moscow Idaho sort of area where they have a a, a really interesting sort of retroactive uh, retrograde like hardcore conservative religious movement. Um, the book, I believe, is published by Canon Press, which is um, uh, Doug Wilson's press out of Moscow. Yeah. And they're pretty influential. And social media has allowed them to be really influential. Yeah. If we didn't have social media, these guys' views wouldn't be spreading the way that they are. Okay, one more comment, and I'm going to move to the next thing. Oh, it just seems that, that, that what it actually is goes against most basic Christian principles of, <laughs> of loving your neighbor and and uh, looking out for the poor and mm-hmm. living in harmony, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just like, yeah, mm-hmm. he, he's not doing yeah. that. Well, it, it's it's pretty fundamentally anti-democratic, mm-hmm. right? And really, it's really interesting to to watch the rise of the political conservative movement since the early '80s, where there is a strong respect for the rule of law, constitution, um, the idea of democracy, but. What seems to be happening now is that when people are feeling under threat of losing their sort of hegemonic power that they've had for many, 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 many years, conservative white men, essentially religious white men, um, they're really um, stepping back on their support for democracy, Mm -hmm. right? Democracy was fine as long as we were the ones that were able to win the elections, but now that we can't win the elections as easily because we have a majority of people in this country that if we had a popular vote, conservative Christians would not be getting elected to major offices. Um, it's okay to sort of jettison or alter or, sh- or change the rules around democracy because ultimately, really, like we're ordained by God to steward and care for this nation. So, so it's, it's, it's justified. So that's, that's Stephen um, Wolf talking. Uh, I want to have you hear a, a pastor um, give a message. This uh, message was delivered on the Sunday before the uh, election day 2020. Okay, so his, his sermon before his people go to the voting booth. And listen carefully. I'm telling you right now how I plan to love you. I'm going to tell you right now how I plan to love my neighbor. Are you ready? I'm about to tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to vote for politicians and policies that will protect the life of my neighbors. Which neighbors? All my neighbors. The children who play down the street as well as the unborn child growing in the womb of her mother. I am going to do that because I love my neighbor, my unborn neighbor. I am going to vote for politicians and policies that will make it easier for my neighbor to find a job and protect his business from burdensome regulations and government interference. Why? Because I love my neighbor. And so I'm gonna vote like that. I'm gonna vote for politicians and policies that will protect the right of my neighbor to live out his or her religious convictions rather than bow to political correctness. I'm gonna vote for politicians and policies out of love for my neighbor that will protect freedom of religion and freedom of conscience. That will protect freedom of speech on college campuses. That will protect marriage for this and for future generations. 
as God defines it, as one man and one woman for life, not on how culture defines it now or may define it in the future. Why? Because I love my neighbor. Because I love my neighbor as myself. I will protect the kids of my neighborhood from the exploitative activism of the LGBTQ agenda rampant in public education and the media. Because I love my neighbor, I will vote for politicians and for policies that will keep our country open for business and fast track the trial and approval of a vaccine for COVID-19. Because I love my neighbor, that's how I'm gonna vote. I'm gonna vote for politicians and policies that cast a vision of optimism and hope because that's what a leader does in the face of adversity. Our country needs something to hope for and to aspire to, not predictions of a gloomy dark winter. We don't need that. We need leadership. And so I'm going to vote because I love my neighbor for politicians and policies that will strengthen our national security by modernizing our military. That policies and politicians that will renegotiate deals with foreign countries that prioritize my neighbor's interests more than international popularity. I'm going to vote for politicians and policies that will stand with Israel and oppose communist China's aggression. Because I love my neighbor, I'm going to vote for policies and politicians who will uphold the law and keep our streets safe in this community and in every community across our land. And I love my neighbor, so I'm going to vote for politicians and for policies that will celebrate the appointment of the eminently qualified Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. That's how I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. How are you going to do it? <laughs> okay, ob observations. Observations. Without telling them how to vote, he's telling them how to vote. Exactly. Oh yeah, it's a hundred percent. Yeah. And what are the? And if you don't vote that way, then you don't love your neighbor. You don't love your neighbor, or you're not a Christian, or. Yeah, what? Imagine being in, in like a, a person that was uncomfortable with, say, voting for Trump in 2020, but being in that service. Like, how does that feel to you experientially? Or if you happen to be an immigrant. Yeah. yeah. Got a job somewhere. No, but he said he's loving his neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> right. But again, who is this? Who? It, 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 it's his neighbor seems to be people that think it like him. Exactly. Yeah. And if they don't. They're, a, they're sort of a, a peripheral neighbor that he's going to love by telling them what's best for them, even though they would probably disagree with him on what is best for them, from his perspective. He, I say, he defines his neighbor by each one of those elements that he tells you that he's going to love his neighbor by. Yeah. Not the immigrant, not the LGBT, but uh, you know, he defines what his neighbor is, and that way, and then he says he loves him. I mean, doesn't, I mean, he doesn't reference any scripture, or I mean, maybe he does in the rest of the sermon, but like, I've watched the whole sermon. It's not a lot of, not a lot of scripture. Yeah. Any other, any other observations there? It seems that, that he, as a lot of, he makes his own rules, mm -hmm. okay? And it's a lot 
and he likes ignores some truths. I think, or yeah. I mean, just the whole thing. He's gonna to make businesses better. He's gonna have re, you know reduce the regulations on businesses. Well, the regulations on businesses is for everybody to 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 you know to benefit. And you know, it just he defines this, and everybody's supposed to go along with it. And it's you know, it's just I mean, it just see, you know, especially when you want somebody like Trump in, it just seems very much like fascism. You, our community, you know, the German uh, uh, German people are the best. They have the best Aryan race, and you know, the same sort of thing. Uh, I was gonna say I'm also curious how what it would be like to have a pastor do that, but with all the like values of progressives. Mm-hmm. Um, and Which does happen. Exactly, yeah. I was going to say. Maybe, maybe, not, maybe not as uh, directly or sportsfully, right. but there was yeah. certainly you could find a yeah. church that has right. the opposite set of political right. values. Right, yeah. And so what kind of, yeah, that's just curious. Right. There's a difference in how those two churches are trying to operationalize yeah. their power, though. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. It, it just feels like such a spin. Like, that he's just decided what he wants and is going to put it out there as, I'm going to help you now by telling you exactly what my spin on anything is. Yeah. Now, you might think that this is, you know, some megachurch guy in, you know, I don't know, some some southern state. Um, This is um, a small church in Fergus Falls, Minnesota, town of 15,000 people. Though it is the though it is the flagship church of a, a Norwegian Lutheran denomination called the Lutheran Brethren, which my wife's family has been a part of for over hundred years. This is my wife's youth pastor, who is now the senior pastor of this church. Um, her oldest brother is employed in the denomination as a pastor. Her um, other older brother is a missionary with the denomination. Her older sister's husband is a pastor in the denomination. Her younger brother is a works at the denominational camp. Her father is a career pastor and regional pastor for the denomination. So, when this pastor speaks, is he speaking for the whole uh, leadership of the church, or how does your wife and her? So this was this was devastating for my wife to see this. She really has um, really fond memories of him. But her observation of her church growing up was, was not political at all, um, was very consciously apolitical. And over time, she has seen many, many leaders that she looked up to sort of go this direction, and she feels homeless as a result. Um, my brother-in-law, who was at the service, just was like shrinking into his seat. Now, I, I would hope that if I was there, I would have the courage just to stand up, stand up and just walk out. Right? Yeah. Nobody did. Um, and my father-in-law, to his credit, went to him the next day and walked into his office and said, that is the worst sermon I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> but to this day, he has never apologized, recanted, and he has said specifically, if I was to do it again, I would preach the exact same sermon again. Um, so this is playing out in, in small churches and big churches uh, all over America. And it's going to get worse this year in terms of the political language. It, there's the, the, the whole movement is 
rallying and building and injecting a, a sense of like doom and apocalypse and terror into people that are interested in this movement to feel that if they don't get on board with this, they're going to lose everything, right? Yeah. So we, um, I'm going to, we want to respect our time and I want to finish no later than 1130 because I'm told I have an hour time, so it's 19 minutes. Um, so what I can say as a sociologist is that we do our best to, to measure and assess this phenomenon and associate it with all kinds of things. Data is good. Um, we can look at this sort of uh, from a theological angle. Um, ever since I was in college, I kind of came upon the conviction, though, that I am, well, I'm less concerned with what people say the theology is than the, the actual lived out effects of what the theology is. So you could have the most beautiful sounding orthodox theology, but if you are uh, a, a, a brutal, uncaring, um, narcissistic fool <laughs> and apply it to your, your community around you, I have a hard time uh, admiring your theology. Right? I mean, Paul would say, clanging, you know, clanging gong. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so it's important, I think, to try to assess these things and actually associate uh, a measure of Christian nationalism with various political and social attitudes so we can actually kind of try to get our hands on the, the actual effect. So um, there are different ways to measure this, but I'm going to show you some items from the most commonly used Christian nationalism scale. So it's going to be six items. It's just, uh, you know, strongly disagree to strongly agree, and then you're going to add those up, and it gives you what we call the Christian nationalism scale. Okay, so the first question would be, the federal government should declare the United States a Christian nation. So in your own head, you can even score yourself. There will be, a lot, there will be variation in this, in this group, right? So one would be, I totally disagree. Five is like, yes, we definitely should do that. The federal government should advocate Christian values. This one is actually going to flip. So five becomes one and one becomes five. The federal government should enforce a strict separation of church and state. Christian nationalists are not wanting to enforce the separation of church and state. They would like to blur those boundaries. The federal government should allow the display of religious symbols in public spaces. The success of the United States is part of God's plan. And finally, the federal government should allow prayer in public schools. It's not a perfect measure, but it's as, a, as an analytical instrument and tool, it's, it's pretty useful. So what kinds of things does it associate with, and what does it look like as it's distributed across the U.S.? The darker states are places where, on average, you're going to get a higher score on Christian nationalism using nationally representative population data. So everything I'm going to show you here, we sociologists really like good, large data sets where we can control for every little factor we can control for. We don't really like psychologists because they tend to work with real small data sets and don't use a lot of extra variables in their models. <laughs> these, are, these are large national data sets controlling for political ideology, you know, education, income, gender, sexual orientation, family background, like everything you can measure we control for in these things. All right, the, the data is going to be tough to see, and I've got a lot to show you, and I don't want to take too much time, so let me just kind of explain. Essentially, this is what I said. The percent of white Americans who believe that the media exaggerates police brutality against blacks, okay? 
the, what, the, what the media is doing is, is, is hyping it up. The police are actually super fair to blacks. There's, there's nothing wrong. The more you agree with Christian nationalism, the more you're going to say the media hypes police brutality against blacks. Okay? Percent of white and black Americans who believe Ahmaud Arbery's killers were motivated by racism and should be charged for murder. Okay, if you're black, regardless of what you score on the Christian nationalism scale, you basically agree okay, that they were motivated by racism. If you're white, which is the white bars, the more you agree with Christian nationalism, the less likely you are to agree that they were motivated by racism. Percent of white Americans who agree with various views on guns and scores on Christian nationalism. Government should enact stricter gun laws. The more Christian nationalists you get, the less favorable you are for gun laws. The best way to stop bad guys with guns is good guys with guns. The more Christian nationalist you are, the more likely you are to do your best thing. Percent of white Americans who agree with various statements about police violence. Okay, This is all going to be an upward trend the more you score on that Christian nationalism scale. Police officers shoot blacks more often because they are more violent than whites. Reports of police brutality are exaggerated. We already saw that. Our legal authorities should be able to use any means necessary in order to maintain law and order, and please treat blacks the same as whites. Percent of Americans who agree with various statements about civil war and Confederate monuments. Historians still debate whether slavery was a central cause of the Civil War. Higher Christian nationalism, higher agreement. I support removing Confederate monuments and statues. Way less agreement the more you go up on that scale. Predicted percent of Americans who have a great deal of trust in the following for COVID-19 information. The CDC, medical professionals, and scientists plummet. But I put a great deal of faith in Trump to give me correct information about COVID-19. Percent of white Americans buy COVID-19 vaccine status. I will not get vaccinated. Goes up with Christian nationalism. I've already been vaccinated. Goes down with Christian nationalism. Percent of white Americans who said religious freedom is very important in terms of how they voted. The more Christian nationalist you are, the more you're likely to say, that religious freedom is very important. Caveat, religious freedom for whom? Yeah, for sure. Right? For people like us. Percent of white Americans who are basically higher um, ambassadors for saying that I stand on the side of the protesters who stormed the Capitol. Okay? So you're looking at the yellow and the gray here. These are going to be the people that generally support Christian nationalism. Much more likely to... Um, uh, support basically, oh sorry, yeah, this is them right here. <laughs> These are the two. These are the, the ones that support the January 6th protesters. Right there, those two. It's almost 90%. Percent of Americans who fear whites no longer being the majority in the U.S. Okay. This is what Stephen Wolf was on to about. It's called majority minority threat. And when you uh, perceive that your group will lose numerical majority and therefore perceive power, you get defensive and you start digging in because you're afraid of other groups and you like having the authority. So there's a lot more um, details I could show you. Is this a national survey? I mean, These are from a, a variety of surveys. They, one of them comes from uh, the Baylor Religion Survey, which is uh, produced every two years. Uh, so it's a variety of, of, of collection points. Um, and then the other one is from 
the political discourse and elections. Then. And is this focused on Christians? If these are, um, they're asked of all people, okay? But when you do the Christian nationalism stuff, you would drop out non-Christian people from the analysis. So you're typically, and researchers have the ability to make those kind of choices, but most of them uh, focus just on people that call themselves a Christian, and then they get scored in the Christian nationalism. Is that all in a book? Um, there's there's several books. Um, this one right here is is one of the, the biggest and most important ones, Taking America Back for God. And this one is a ton of data. Just It's, it's written by two sociologists. So it's a ton of data on Christian nationalism and Muslim interpretation. But I can definitely share um, other suggestions for research. Yeah? I know you, you're pressed for time. I'm just so amazed that it, it can be called Christian nationalism when... Really, if you look at this, what they're, what they're about, there's only one element in their religious freedom that has anything to do with Christianity. And it seems as though the church has been co-opted as a argument for, oh, let's all get on board. Um, and I'm just struck that they would assign Trump as a, either a source for COVID information or a leader when the guy doesn't even know scripture. Is that it? Just it blows my mind that people that their um, worldview is so black and white that they will overlook any nuance of individuals. Yeah. There's also been a very intentional social movement to get to this point. Yes. Okay. I get that. So it's it's been it's been it's been, it's been pushing fifty years of very intentional world building, evangelical cultural sub building. I mean, developing views on American history, a la David Barton, who is like really huge in like the homeschool movement as a historian, but he's really a pseudo historian and gets a lot of things wrong. Um, I mean, his book on Jefferson was like pulled by its publisher because there's so many like <laughs> factual errors in it. Um, and, and then the whole Rights Right movement. Um, there's a lot of resources to learn about that stuff. I mean, Christian Dumais, Jesus and John Wayne is a very popular one, but that fundamentally is a history that's trying to get to the moment of how, how did we get to Trump? And so going back into the 70s and 80s and building over time, it's gonna, sh it's gonna show and document how the social movement has been built over time. And there's other resources there. But your question is brilliant because it takes me exactly to my question as well. Like, okay, we see all these associations, but are these things really, sure, Christians can have views on these things, but are they fundamentally like, Christian-centered or gospel-centered or Bible-centered issues. What about the Christian values? How would you want to support Christian values? Uh, the, the question on the scale of the well, government I mean, to know, advocate? As an alternative to this uh, great political way of doing it, you know, a lot of people are concerned that Christian values have been kind of yeah. in a way, and uh, the opposite of Christian values are put as progressive and Christian. Yeah. That's a question. That's a question for us all to wrestle with, right? It's a, it's a question of to what did how do how do values get implemented and and, and lived out? Uh, and I think when the laws tended to more support quote unquote a Christian view, people were okay to sort of um, uh, let the culture reflect the law. And as things have changed, there's been a fear that oh no, we actually do need the law in order to have our culture function the way we need to. And the, I think that's that's a that's a that's a valid question to ask. Like, do you need to have the law in your society? That's saying you can't legislate morality. 
it's a little silly because we make laws and we want to do the most moral law we can come up with. Yeah, but according but according to whom, right? Like who are the participants in the dialogue about what that morality is? And and that's what seems to be changing is that those that that might th see things differently than a traditional sort of conservative um, Christian worldview or any Christian are developing and and, and coming into more and more political power and cultural power. They have, uh, haven't they? I mean, there's yeah. a lot of progressive stuff that sounds kind of not too progressive, really. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. but I don't denote truth. But I think aren't what we highlighting not oh do we agree with conservative values or progressive yeah. values, but the combining them Christian. Christianity and saying mm -hmm. it's Christian nationalism, but again, are any of these specific well, things? It's not very nuanced, is it? Kind of a straw man almost. Mm -hmm. is, there, is there anybody or a group that's kind of coordinating this whole movement? Coordinating the movement? Yeah. Building it? There's a lot. Yeah, way more than. <laughs> we have time to go into. Well, but I guess there there is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what like one group that I I will encourage you to go look at if you want is ALC, the American Legis Legislative Exchange uh, Council, which is a, a behind the scenes uh, political action group that basically writes laws according to a certain set of values and then hands them out to lawmakers all over the country. So it's called ALC, A L E C. American Legislative Exchange Council Commission, yeah. Um, and so th there's there's a lot of yeah, like trying to understand what's going on. This particular book right here, The Power of Worshippers by Catherine Stewart, a lot of the work in there is trying to peel back the layers of like the power structures and how these networks actually function, how they're funded, how the interrelationships among different groups, for sure. Yeah. But that in your list, that the last question, none of those things to me come to gospel, be gospel or Christian in particular, but more values like my home, my family, my yeah. community. Yeah, yeah. What I hear over here saying is that you want, you know, there, it, it's, it's worthwhile to also check all kinds of other types of value statements about. Well, the things that make people vote. Yeah. I'm not sure this yeah. is the thing that really makes people vote these days. Mm. That's what they're running on, though. Yeah. Yeah. This is what they say. Yes. This is what they We could, you know, I could put together a presentation that's 25 hours long, and we could like look at each of these individual things specifically, right? I think one thing that I will just I will say that I think is helpful to think about is that oftentimes we we think that we have values, and then we act politically downstream of those values, so there's religious values and moral values. But a lot of the work has been done by social psychologists and sociologists. I mean, some psychologists mm -hmm. lately that show pretty clearly 
that our um, the things we claim about religion these days are actually coming downstream of our political values and our political allegiances. And you can separate that out. I can't. Give an example. So um, essentially, what we're saying is that like, if someone is going to vote um, on, on abortion, for example, they're going to say, "Well, I'm a I'm a Christian, and I have this view about the sanctity of life, and so therefore I'm going to vote uh, against an abortion measure." But what we find is that people are actually have become sorted in recent years in terms of their, um, their communities and their information networks and all kinds of things. And they, they essentially um, end up actually ascribing, um, statistically, if you, it, it's very hard, it's hard to explain technically, but if you, if you separate things out statistically, the thing that's driving people's behaviors is their commitments to political orientations and allegiances, not what they say about their theology. Yeah. Okay. And I, again, I can't go into how that all happens. It would be great to come in another time with an example and actually walk through that. So the, their allegiance determines their their kind of moral base rather than their moral base. Yeah. 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 So for example, I was I was just a couple weeks ago I was in the lobby over there. I had pulled out John Mark Comer's God Has a Name, which is sitting on the shelf right there, and he says in the introduction to that book, as I'm scanning through it. It says the most important thing for a Christian is what they believe about God because that will determine all the ways that they act, which is wrong. We basically know from all of, like, thousands of studies in the last 20 years that the way that we act actually forms our perceptions of who God is. It's actually the other way around. There is some kind of element that goes back and forth, of course. But we have this kind of idea, which I would call a fallacy in evangelicalism, that, um, that thought and theology and belief and value come first and everything flows from that. <laughs> but in, in reality, it seems that our social networks, our behaviors, our attitudes actually change. So just think about practically. If someone might have seen some kind of uh, uh, behavior as sinful... But over time, they engage in that behavior more and more and more. And what they do is they flip it. And all of a sudden, that behavior acts back and changes their view on the theology or changes the view on God in order to justify what the behavior is. We do this a lot. Well, it shouldn't be that way, should it? No. We're not talking about should. I'm a sociologist, and I'm always about what is. I have an epiphany where I grew up strong Democrat, and I've never been a Republican. Mm -hmm. But the sodomy and abortion just killed it for me, and so I stopped. Yeah. It feels like apostasy and uh, betrayal that other people don't join me. Yeah, yeah. Well, and here's, here's the same thing. So abortion is one of those cases where pre-1976, abortion was not a, a, a partisan issue. Democrats, Republicans, in fact, a tons and tons of conservative Republicans were generally favorable towards abortion. But then this, this political social movement thing started kicking in in the 80s that built abortion as something that you can rally people around. Well, and I'm not saying that people that hold views on either side of that, I'm not criticizing their position. What will it take you know, for this thing to turn around? You're talking about that we have habits, you know, yeah. drag queen story circles in the public schools and stuff. I mean, what does it take to turn around from being a progressive Democrat? I think that's a question that might be beyond the scope of what we're doing right now. 
So I want to, we're not going to be able to talk about this because we're out of time, but I want to leave this with you, and I think this might be helpful to reflect on going from where we're going, okay? We wrote down definitions of what is the kingdom of God. Now, one of my favorite books that I highly recommend is Howard Snyder's Models of the Kingdom, where he is going to talk about ways in which people have conceived of what the kingdom of God is over time, and how it has been expressed in like social and political settings in um, a variety of historical and social circumstances, okay? And he's going to set up a model that shows when we conceive of the kingdom, we tend to think about it either, either as something that exists very much in the present world or something that exists out in some kind of future, right? Or it's something that is pretty much living in heaven or something that's here on earth, something that is brought about by human action or something that's brought about solely by divine action. Okay, something that is gradual or something that comes in cataclysmically. And it's really important for us to reflect because we're going to have totally different orientations, I think, on where the kingdom is, how the kingdom is, when the kingdom is. And that has implications for then how we engage these questions about politics and our communities, right? So I want you to look at your definition and think about just objectively, not trying to like say anything positively or negatively, but what we observe in Christian nationalism, where does it get, where, how does it map onto this kind of a diagram, right? Um, or does it? And then how does your own kind of conception, how you think about the kingdom of God sort of map onto this diagram? And you might find that those things line up really clearly, or you might find that your conception of the kingdom um, is really the like opposite in many, many ways about uh, Christian nationalism has been expressed politically. Okay. So that's just a, a good thing to sort of, I think, reflect upon and, and go forward as we develop and, and hopefully uh, orient ourselves to Scripture and, um, and live out from there, as difficult as it can be. All right. Thanks so much for uh, your attendance today. Thanks. We have people pray for us, so could you please pray? Mm-hmm. pray for us. Yeah, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Lord, um, I'm mindful of the fact that um, when we talk about the kingdom, we talk about gospel, we talk about our faith, we have so many questions and so many relationships and so many uh, choices to navigate. And we can, uh, in good conscience, navigate those differently. Um, and that's the church. The church is full of beloved people who are wrestling with questions genuinely. And so I think fundamentally, Lord, I would ask that this group and this church, this particular expression of the body, um, would be able to be present to one another to 
ask questions of one another to navigate these questions and these spaces with um, with conviction and with humility and with grace. And may we be uh, very open to hearing from one another, to being corrected by one another, uh, sensitive to your spirit. Uh, give us your supernatural guidance as we navigate these kind of times in this election cycle. We very much need your presence with us as we do so. Uh, go out with us now and allow us to love and serve uh, with your presence. Amen.